This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A deeply intriguing aspect of Jimmy's narrative is the borderline obsession of a journalist who worked for the LA Times named Chuck Phillips. At one time, Chuck was a Pulitzer Prize winning writer who covered crime and music at the LA Times. He was a rising star. The problem with Chuck is he started to print false stories in the LA Times. In another podcast I did called The Dossier, the LAPD cover-up of the murder of Biggie, I uncovered sourced proof that Phillips was in bed with one of the top brass at the LAPD, Mike Burkow. Burkow was feeding him information to print in the paper. To go further, Phillips wrote in upwards of five stories that created false narratives surrounding the investigation into Biggie's murder. Chuck Phillips also tried to ruin the career of storied FBI agent Phil Carson, who was investigating the LAPD's involvement in the murder of Biggie. Phillips was also sued by Jimmy and by Puffy, who both received out-of-court settlements from the paper. I think there is a whole other podcast to be done on the work of Chuck Phillips, as the guy has completely disappeared off the map. He was fired from the LA Times to never write another story. I've hired private investigators to try and find Chuck and see if he would talk to me, but I've come up short. In this call, Jimmy talks about Chuck Phillips and his experience. When you look at your story and you look at what ends up happening with Chuck Phillips and him writing what is basically uh, fiction, you sue him and you win and i know you can you can read you know what your actions were but when you're when you're trying to become as successful as you're trying to become and there are stories that are blatantly wrong how how does that affect you psychologically and mentally because you know you do say even in the vibe article that your focus was to become as successful as you possibly could in the music industry and you were on your way to doing that. What did that do to to you psychologically to have an institution like the LA Times and pretty much anything on the internet that you read have your name attached to something that is is almost like a fantasy? Well, you know, it, it almost starts to dictate some of your actions. And, and, And the only reason it dictates it a little bit is only because you are seeing the the funny faces. You're you're watching question marks on the faces of people. And one of the things that I used to do to dispel, to dispel any of those myths, is to say, if y'all believe 
the things that y'all hear about me, because remember, it wasn't only that the, the Tupac um, fiction that I was accused of. It was also that I was racketeering in the business, that I was extorting in the business, that I was, you know, uh, I was strong on, that I was walking in people's offices and, and shaking them down, that I was, you know, there were so many rumors out there. And I used to tell people, if y'all, well, there's no way for me to hide any of those. This call is from a federal prison. There's no way for me to hide any of those facts if they're true. If they're true, then they have to be an executive. They have to be an A&R. They have to be a producer. Somebody who could come forward and say, yo, Jimmy grabbed me, pistol whipped me, made me give them piece of my check every time that we, we did something together with him. They would have to have those kind of real stories where a guy could come forward and say that. You can't tell me that everybody's afraid to speak forward the way that people hide behind computers now and, and, and spit out all this fiction. So they, they would be somebody who could come forward and say, yeah, man, I had a run-in with this guy. I, I did business with Jimmy Rosen and he dealt with me unfavorably and not like a businessman. There is no one. I can say that with 100% certainty. That there is no one out there that can say that I even gave them a bad contract. Now, when you look at other guys who have these rumors around them, there's guys who would say, yo, he took my publisher. Yo, he took yeah. my royalty money. He took this and that from me. There is no one with 100% certainty that can say that I did that to them. And so that alone, my record on that alone should speak volumes to people that a lot of this is fiction. And speaking to that, was it a struggle because that there was this interpretation from what people read and what was printed uh, around you? Did it hinder your ability to do business? It absolutely, absolutely did. Did hinder my my ability to be the best executive and manager um, and executive producer that I could. I, again, I would walk into to offices and you would see, hear the whispers from secretaries and you would see the extra security bumped up when I was in Los Angeles walking into the Interscope building. And it was for no reason. And, and, and because of that, I used to go into these offices alone. I wouldn't go in there with, with two or three you know, people that are just business people with me because I had to try to dispel the, the perception for some reason, the, the, the Jimmy Henchman connotation was, was real to people. It, it became real. Of something that was a myth became real in the mind of people. And so it ended my business on all aspects. I, I was so mindful to not even raise a voice, raise my voice in a meeting, because I didn't want them to feel like I was intimidating them in any way. Even though I'm not a yeller and a screamer, but I was extra conscious that I didn't do those things. And yes, it affected my business in, in so many different ways because the quality of management that I did, I should have been able to manage a Lady Gaga or a, a Britney Spears or Mariah Carey. But because of the stigma, 
it kept me in the lower realms of management. And when I say the lower realms, I'm just talking about the urban hip hop stuff that sure. that wasn't, you know, that was more underground than it was more pop. And I knew how to do pop records just like how I knew how to do urban records. It, it didn't matter to me. But because of those rumors, and this is why people like Chris Light and the shock him compares was able to go grab bigger stars. When me and them were all on the same level, we came up under the same school. We came up the same time of management, which was the early 90s. So yeah. we were all in the same class. Me, Steve Stout, Chris Lighty, Shaquem Compare. We were all in the same class of managers. However, because of the rumors, it kept me in a, a, a certain sphere uh, uh, that I couldn't get out of. Jimmy had this fierce reputation from his past in Brooklyn. But let me be clear. He was also a stone-cold businessman. What he did with the game's career was impressive, and his work behind the scenes with Mike Tyson, negotiating a Mike Tyson versus Lennox Lewis fight, this is the big leagues. The potential that Jimmy had was endless. If he could really shake off these rumors, Jimmy was on track to become a label head, a power player inside the industry. He wanted to branch out from hip hop because I believe he knew even being around some artists would probably bring the attention of law enforcement. So in the audio below, Jimmy talks about wanting to branch out into pop music and also his charity work in Haiti. So take me through from a business level after the Chuck Phillip stuff comes out, do you still manage the game? What happens on a business level and what you're trying to do? I mean, game wasn't going nowhere. We, we, our relationship was too tight. Um, and it seemed like my, my career was intertwined into his success to a certain extent. So I had game and, um, um, I was dealing with Akon at the time and, and Wyclef. But, um, my, my charity, um, or my charitable efforts at that point, were even more at that point. So nothing really changed as far as doing business, but it really just put me on an urban level um, when I really wanted to branch out into some more pop kind of situation. I mean, I never managed Akon. However, I was brought in to renegotiate his deals and the same thing with, with Clef. And I would do all their charities for them and so on and so forth. So, um, and I would do the same for Rick Ross and, and for whoever else and T.I. and whoever else that I was, um, in, in, in coming in, in touch with. Um, I don't really think any of the urban guys had changed with, but my aspirations to become a manager of pop artists, um, that kind of dwindled away after that. You wanted to focus more on charitable stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, after you make a certain amount of money and you're successful to a certain extent, you know, you, you definitely, um, you, you look toward more giving charity. That's the, the next, you know, thing that I, I believe that if you, if you're a human that, um, have a heart, you start looking for causes to, 
need to start giving money away or helping individuals that um, you can reach and touch. You know, um, one of the things that I, I started doing a whole lot of was um, making sure that I go into the prisons to talk to adolescents because of, um, you know, I used to be in the same situation that the adolescents were in um, when I was a kid. So I made it my business to um, take my time to go down there with artists and tell them that at one time I sat exactly where they were at and um, look where I'm at now and anything is possible and that they shouldn't give up and um, they're not either too stupid or too far gone to become successful in life. I felt with the connotations of my name, if they were hearing that from me, that it would resonate a whole lot better coming from me. You know, um, yeah. you know, yeah. forget the rumors that you heard, but I sat exactly where I sat and look at where I'm at right now. So at that time, too, with reaching a certain success, whether it was with Game or Mike Tyson or Michael K. Williams or Akon, do you still feel as if the Eastern District and the U.S. Attorney is still looking at you? Or does that go away at some oh, point? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. At some point, Jeffrey Lickman talks to the Eastern District and they end up telling them that they have a financial investigation. They say that uh, looking into my finances and um, an indictment should be coming very soon. 